In Portland, federal law enforcement officers are detaining civilians seemingly at random. Former staffers of Ellen say the show's be kind mantra doesn't apply behind the scenes. And we have women's rights lawyer Gloria Allred joining us on the show today. She's here to talk about her current lineup of cases, including her defense of Jeffrey Epstein's alleged victims. The date, July 17th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hello, everybody. I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. It is Friday, Casey, and mm-hmm. I am so mm-hmm. happy. Do you have any plans for this weekend? Um, You know what? Yes, I do. My boyfriend yeah. and I bought a Mario party, and that's <gasps> what we're doing. <laughs> it's exciting. I had never played before. I had no clue what was going to happen. You're, sometimes oh you're like rowing. Sometimes you're pumping your fist in the air. This is for the Switch, hurts. right? <laughs> what? Yeah, it's on the Switch. <laughs> oh, man. I haven't played Mario Party since the GameCube, so I, I'm sure it's oh, the exact I've same thing. I've never played it. I'm having a blast. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you doing this weekend? I am sleeping and I am looking forward to it. It's going to be delightful. Uh, I, any other plans will be incidental and I'm sure great, but I am most looking forward to like catching up on sleep this weekend. It's going to be mm, mm, delicious. I want that for you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, time for today's top stories. Here's what you need to know. An unpublished White House document warns that 18 states are in the red zone as far as the coronavirus outbreak is concerned and should roll back the reopening measures. The document, first acquired by the Center for Public Integrity, was prepared this week for the White House Coronavirus Task Force and presents a much more realistic view of the current state of the outbreak compared to the president's usual talking points. Per the document, 18 states are in the red zone for COVID-19 cases, meaning they've racked up 100 new cases per 100,000 people in their population over the last week. And 11 states are in the red zone for test positivity, that meaning more than 10% of COVID-19 tests conducted are coming back positive. It's not clear why the document hasn't been made public, since the information and recommendations included in it do appear to be sound, according to experts who've reviewed it. One potential reason? Like the federal government itself, the document is focused on leaving things up to the states, even if their decisions go against the guidelines it encourages. That includes Georgia, which is clearly in the red zone for both cases and positive test rates, and should, per the document, mandate statewide wearing of cloth face coverings outside the home. But Republican Governor Brian Kemp instead issued an order this week overturning any mask-wearing mandate that Georgian cities have put out. Meanwhile, the fight over reopening schools in the fall is dragging on, with the Trump administration insisting that kids need to be back in school buildings no matter what. White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany got into it yesterday with reporters during an interesting press briefing. The science is on our side here, and we encourage for localities and states to just simply follow the science, open our schools. It's very damaging to our children. There's a lack of reporting of abuse. Uh, there's mental uh, depressions that are not addressed, suicidal ideations that are not addressed when students are not in school. Our schools are extremely important. They're essential, and they must reopen. Impressing that the science is on the administration's side, McEnany left out exactly what the administration believes should happen if slash when schools fail to follow the science and take measures based on the guidelines from the CDC, measures that many school districts are only just now scrambling to consider. Many others may lack the funding or physical space necessary to carry out those CDC recommendations. 
Teachers who are expected to be leading classrooms in just a few months are also much more worried than the White House appears to be. Several that spoke to BuzzFeed News say that they're prepared to quit if they have to out of fear for their lives and the lives of their students. It's the only option available to some, given laws in some states that prevent teachers from striking on risk of losing their jobs or even their teaching certificates. And uh, here's a story that's been flying under the radar for the last week or so at least. Federal law enforcement officers are currently deployed in Portland, and local reporting says that they're detaining random civilians. Portland's anti-police brutality protests are still going after 50-plus days, and the Trump administration has taken the holding the city up as an example of the lawlessness and violence that the demonstrators want to spread. Right now, the Department of Homeland Security has officers from the U.S. Marshals, Customs and Border Protection, and other agencies deployed in Portland, ostensibly only to protect federal property, including the Hatfield Federal Court Building. Earlier this week, one of the officers called national attention to the deployment when he shot a protester in the head with a less-than-lethal round, fracturing the protester's skull. And yesterday, Oregon Public Broadcasting reported that protesters were being grabbed off the street and detained without warning just for wearing black and having attended protests. Acting Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf was in Portland yesterday, and DHS issued a list of attacks against federal property, referring to the protesters exclusively as violent anarchists. But pictures at the federal courthouse Wolf tweeted this morning to showcase the horror in the city, they mostly showed just graffiti. We talked about this before, but I mean, these protests still are going on, whether we're Mm -hmm. seeing them or not. Um, I'm glad that this is getting coverage, especially because of this reaction that they're getting from the government. I mean, it's scary. It is. And what's fascinating is these uh, federal law enforcement agents, it's what we saw in D.C. during closer to the start of these protests where they don't have name badges on, they don't have to identify themselves when they are trying to detain people. One of the people interviewed by Oregon Public Broadcasting said he wasn't sure if they were even with the government or if they were a right-wing militia and he was being kidnapped. And the level of escalation that uh, we're seeing as, you know, protesters are being stood off against by people with very large guns for, what, graffiti and breaking windows? The the disparity there is very clear. And uh, now that it's getting more attention, I'm really curious to see what happens in Portland moving forward. Yeah, that's definitely something I'm going to be watching. Um, I also still want to talk about, go back to um, kids coming back in the fall to school. Mm. I follow a couple of teachers on Instagram, and I saw someone posting about how some teachers are writing wills. Yeah, I saw because that too. They're going they're going back to school and it things aren't set up properly for them yet. They're scared and rightly so. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing there was one uh, post on Reddit that went super viral that was a teacher who said that he was writing his will out. And I don't blame them because, I mean, one, a lot of teachers are very young. They don't have like end of life affairs set up, which is a scary thing to think about. But it makes sense if you're going to be told, OK, you're going to be going into this building, who knows, between two to five days per week with a lot of children who you're not sure what social distancing they're doing outside of the classroom into already overcrowded public school classrooms. So it's a lot, the levels here of stuff that needs to be taken care of that just has not been and still does not seem to be being taken care of is a lot. All right. That's all I've got, Casey. How about you? What's going on this Friday? Well, the Washington Post reported yesterday that the Washington NFL team's back office was a truly toxic work environment with 15 women telling the paper that they were sexually harassed or verbally abused. Several of the women interviewed said they were told to wear tight dresses when entertaining VIP clients and suite holders. 
Others detailed a workplace where abuse rolled down from the very top and was heaped upon them. Making things worse, the team's HR department consisted of just one staffer to deal with over 200 employees. Three of the men accused of improper behavior in the story had abruptly left the team in the days before the story was published, and that includes former director of pro personnel Alex Santos, who was accused of inappropriately touching and hitting on female staffers and journalists. His deputy, Richard Mann, was also let go because of similar accusations. It also includes Larry Michael, who until recently was the voice of the team, giving play-by-play on the radio. He was accused of also offering up his unsolicited opinions on women's appearances, including telling one staffer she had a tight ass before claiming to other staffers that she was sleeping with half the players. Team owner Dan Snyder issued a statement on Friday saying that he had hired an independent law firm to investigate the claims and that the team will make changes based on the results of that investigation. Woof, that story. Uh, there was so much uh, like gossip about it inside local DC media before it dropped that something about the NFL team was going to be coming out soon without people really knowing what it was. And then the story landed. It was like, oh, oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a big, I mean, all these women coming forward, all these, all these men that have been mistreating them and mishandling them. I mean, I'm glad the story's finally out, but it seems like it's taken a very long time to do so. Absolutely. And the quotes, uh, people, if you haven't read the story, you absolutely should, because some of the quotes are absolutely golden. This is one from Julia Payne, who was a former assistant press secretary in the Clinton administration, who briefly served as VP of communications for the team in 2003. She told the Post, I have never been in a more hostile, manipulative, passive aggressive environment. And I worked in politics. Mm. Well, uh, Hayes, that I'm going to have to bring us on over to the Ellen DeGeneres show because that's my next talking point, and it's also about a toxic workplace. BuzzFeed News spoke to one current and 10 former Ellen staffers who all said that the show's producers encouraged a climate where if you were likable and didn't complain, you were rewarded with swag from sponsors and raises and promotions. But if you pushed back about the fear and intimidation the producers fostered, you were shown the door. One former staffer said they were given a warning for creating a GoFundMe campaign to raise money for medical costs that their health insurance didn't cover. Unlike on the show where people in need are given money, the former staffer was told to take down the fundraiser because of concerns it might hurt DeGeneres' image. Another former Ellen staffer told BuzzFeed News that she left after a year and a half of racist comments, actions, and microaggressions directed at her. The last straw was when the show's executive producer pulled her into a meeting and, quote, said that I was walking around looking resentful and angry. She left work that day and never returned. And I don't blame her one bit. Oh, this story is fascinating. And I feel like one that a lot of people have been waiting on for a minute. Uh, Like every time there's a hint of Ellen Generous in the news, there's people you can tell that have been that are waiting for it to come out more fully about how Ellen's like persona differs from the way that she and her staffers actually treat people. Definitely. You know, as soon as this came out, I had so many different friends in like the industry and media texting each other and just being like, finally, it's out. This one's a little interesting because, you know, it's not as focused on Ellen, which Mm -hmm. um, all the rumors have been about. And this one is more is focused on the toxic workplace that, you know, as the head of this has enabled, you know, Mm -hmm. 
right? I mean, I remember there was a Twitter thread earlier this year where a comedian was taking donations to charity in exchange for people's stories about Ellen being mean. And that thread, uh, when the BuzzFeed news story was published, had 2,600 responses. Wow. Yep. 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 (laughs) The stories are out there. They are there. Uh, We're not going to repeat some of them because we haven't fact-checked them, but they're there for the look-ins. After the break, we're talking with women's rights lawyer Gloria Allred. Be right back. Chief it. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. After 30 years, it's time to return to the halls of West Beverly High and hang out at the Peach Pit. On the podcast 9021OMG, join Jenny Garth and Tori Spelling for a rewatch of the hit series Beverly Hills 90210 from the very beginning. We get to tell the fans all of the behind the scenes stories that actually happened. So they know what happened on camera, obviously, but we can tell them all the good stuff that happened off camera. Get all the juicy details of every episode that you've been wondering about for decades as 90 90210 super fan and radio host Sissini sits in with Jenny and Tori to reminisce, reflect, and relive each moment from Brandon and Kelly's first kiss to shouting, Donna Martin graduates. You have an amazing memory. You remember everything about the entire 10 years that we filmed that show. And you remember absolutely nothing of the 10 years that we filmed that show. <laughs> Listen to 9021OMG on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Lethal listeners, Tig here. Last season on Lethal Lit, you might remember I came to Hollow Falls on a mission, clearing my Aunt Beth's name and making sure justice was finally served. But I hadn't counted on a rash of new murderers tearing apart the town. My mission put myself and my friends in danger, though it wasn't all bad. I'm gonna be real with you, Tig. I like you. But now... All signs point to a new serial killer in Hollow Falls. If this game is just starting, you better believe I'm gonna win. I'm Tig Torres, and this is Lethal Lit. Catch up on season one of the hit murder mystery podcast, Lethal Lit, a Tig Torres mystery, out now. And then tune in for all new thrills in season two, dropping weekly starting February 9th. Subscribe now to never miss an episode. Listen to Lethal Lit on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Last week, the FBI arrested Ghislaine Maxwell in New Hampshire. Maxwell is a former girlfriend of the late Jeffrey Epstein, and according to the indictment against her, she was an alleged solicitor of underage girls who Epstein sexually assaulted. Today's guest is an attorney to 18 of Epstein's accusers. She spent the last 44 years taking on women's rights cases, and she's the rare lawyer who's a household name, Gloria Allred. Gloria, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Of course. So let's start with the case you're here to discuss. First, what was your reaction to the news that Ghislaine Maxwell had been arrested? I think it was a both a surprise and a relief to many victims of Jeffrey Epstein. 
and some certainly had contact with Ms. Maxwell. Uh, Ms. Maxwell certainly, by her own admission, was someone who was intimate with Mr. Epstein, also uh, worked uh, and did business with Mr. Epstein. And so she lived there with Mr. Epstein for some time. She certainly was at parties with Mr. Epstein on many of his properties. So she also, of course, uh, partied with him at her home in London, uh, where Prince Andrew was also present when Mr. Epstein was. So she knows all of the powerful men, uh, rich, famous, powerful, who were in Mr. Epstein's social circle. And that she she knows quite a bit, and and we're very happy that she's had she's going to have to stand trial, or at least in some way be accountable in the justice system. Hmm. Yeah, speaking of those famous and powerful men, you mentioned Prince Andrew, the Duke of York. He's another person that's been linked to Epstein and accused of sexual misconduct. Uh, you recently rented a school bus in England that you <laughs> parked outside Buckingham Palace, demanding that Prince Andrew speak to the FBI. What do you think he can tell them? Yes, actually, it drove around Buckingham Palace, and there was a big poster on the school bus, given that underage girls are alleged to have been sexually abused, school bus was quite appropriate, and it had a big poster on the side that had a photo of Prince Andrew, and it said, if you see this man, ask him to call the FBI, and it had the phone number of the FBI, and I did that, by the way, because I had also originally sent a letter to his home, which I have evidence was delivered to his home in the UK, urging him to speak to the FBI, and he hadn't done so. And the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York at the time, uh, Jeffrey Berman, also uh, a month later urged Prince Andrew to speak to the FBI. To date, apparently, has not done that. And what does he know? Well, since he stayed with Jeffrey Epstein, literally was his guest in his home in Manhattan for some days at least, um, and visited many of the other properties of Mr. Epstein, he certainly would have an idea of who was coming and going. And, mm -hmm. you know, he would have important information to provide. Here is the goal for the Epstein victims. They would like truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And they would like justice, and they would like transparency in the process. So far, they've never received the whole truth. They have not received justice. And uh, there has not been complete transparency. Yeah. So what happens next in these cases involving Epstein and his alleged co-conspirators? Well, just uh, this week, uh, Ms. Maxwell was arraigned. She answered uh, not guilty to the charges. Um, mm -hmm. And in addition to that, there was a bail hearing. The court, after a lengthy hearing and hearing arguments from both sides, uh, did decline to grant her motion to be released on house arrest on bail, even with strict bail conditions. So she remains in custody because, you know, the court wants to assure that um, she is available if, as, and when there is a trial. Um, this is important. We hope that she is going to be protected while she is in the custody of the Metropolitan Detention Center in New York so that she's available not only to prepare for her trial so she can get a fair trial, 
but also so that the victims will be able to have a fair trial and some justice in this case. So as we mentioned earlier, you've been taking on cases to defend women's rights for decades now. Uh, What would you say the biggest difference is from when you first began taking those cases in the 70s and now? Yes, I have been practicing uh, for 44 years with a leading women's rights law firm in the United States. And uh, I would say the difference is that women are finding their courage now in a way and in numbers that perhaps uh, I didn't see at the beginning of my career. And they are understanding that they have more strength and courage to win justice than they ever realized. So as, as I say in my Netflix documentary, Seeing All Red, you know, power only understands power. And so they are finding a way to, uh, to exercise their power and assert their rights and vindicate their rights in a way they never did before. And legislators are, are also being more responsive and changing laws to provide more access to the courts and eliminate or change or lengthen statutes of limitations. Those are arbitrary time periods set by law during which victims can, must assert their claims or be forever barred from asserting them. And that is a teaching moment for these perpetrators who hurt women to know that women now can stand up and fight back and we can help them to assert their rights in a way that previously they were barred from doing so. Mm. Moving on to another case, this week, a federal judge in New York rejected a proposed settlement deal that Harvey Weinstein's lawyers, his alleged victims, and the New York Attorney General previously agreed to. Did you think that was the right call? Yes. And I also represent uh, Mimi Haley, who was the uh, who was one of the two victims uh, for whom charges were filed in the New York criminal case against Harvey Weinstein. And she and on her behalf, uh, we objected to that uh, proposed class action settlement because we felt that it was flawed in many ways. Uh, and not the least of which was that uh, certain victims who were victims of Mr. Weinstein post-2005 would be barred from pursuing a lawsuit and would be limited to the claims process. And we thought that was very unfair. There was a lot of other unfairness in, the, in that, uh, that many of uh, the victims, even victims of rape, uh, might end up uh, obtaining less in that settlement than Harvey Weinstein was being uh, awarded in that settlement. And that is just absurd and unfair. So sticking with Weinstein for a second, uh, you've spoken out in favor of the use of non-disclosure agreements, and they're staying in place even during cases of sexual assault and harassment accusations. In your experience, are those NDAs usually proposed by the alleged victim or the alleged assaulter or harasser? Well, the yes, I have also written an article that was published in the opinion section of the Los Angeles Times some time ago mm-hmm. on this subject because I'm a believer that victims should have choice. When they've been victimized and they have been raped or they have been sexually assaulted or sexually harassed they're, or abused as children, their choice has been taken away from them by the perpetrator. 
of the abuse. And one choice they should have in the justice system is to reach a settlement in lieu of having to file a lawsuit and go to trial. Uh, the press, of course, they have their own duty. They want to know everything about everyone and everything. And I get that. That's their job. And I respect that. But my job is to protect my client. My job is I to help that. her if she wants her privacy. I'm sorry, but the question uh, was, on the whole, on the balance, are those usually put forward by either the uh, harasser or the alleged victim? Uh, I mean, just, I'm curious, like, on well, the balance, like, between the two, which is the more common uh, party to put forward these NDAs? Well, I mean, we don't do surveys. We're not sociologists. We're lawyers. Uh, but um, it's a conversation. Uh, it's a conversation with the client to find out what is their goal uh, and what, how, how would they like to pursue their goal? And that's after they understand their options and the benefits and risks of each option. Uh, and so, I mean, everybody comes in, you know, with a slightly different situation. Some people, for example, may already have gone on the internet and called out the celebrity or the well-known mm -hmm. person. Some people have never said anything to anybody. It really, I have to start with what the client wants. Uh, in, uh, it's, it's clear to me that many high-profile figures are going to want to have confidentiality. Right. Thank you so much, uh, Gloria Allred. Uh, we really appreciate you being here with us. My pleasure. Thank you so much. That's it for the week. Join us on Monday when we're back to recap all the latest news that you need to know. And remember, put your phones down for a while this weekend. You deserve the break. News O'Clock is produced by Dan Bowza, Hiba Elorbani, Alan Haberchak, and Sierra Tall. Special thanks to Tracy Ayers, Mangesha Ticketer, Samantha Hinnick, Patrick McMiniman, and Tommy Wesley. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. Reviews are a great way for new listeners to find out about the show, so we're counting on y'all to help us make a good first impression. And remember, set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. Peacock is streaming your favorite shows, movies, live sports, breaking news, exclusive originals, and every live WWE pay-per-view. It's The Office, Chrisley Knows Best, and Peacock original shows like Punky Brewster. Peacock, watch for free, upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. Hey, Lethal listeners, Tig here. Last season on Lethal Lit, you might remember I came to Hollow Falls on a mission, clearing my Aunt Beth's name and making sure justice was finally served. But... I hadn't counted on a rash of new murderers tearing apart the town. My mission put myself and my friends in danger. Though it wasn't all bad. I'm gonna be real with you, Tig. I like you. But now, all signs point to a new serial killer in Hollow Falls. If this game is just starting, you better believe I'm gonna win. I'm Tig Torres, and this is Lethal Lit. Catch up on season one of the hit murder mystery podcast, Lethal Lit, a Tig Torres mystery, out now. And then tune in for all new thrills in season two, dropping weekly starting February 9th. Subscribe now to never miss an episode. Listen to Lethal Lit on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What grows in the forest? Our imagination and our family bonds. The forest is closer than you think. 
Find a forest near you at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.